Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Well, it's always a joy to be here, so thanks for the invitation. I was telling my mom, this is the first time in all the years I've been here that I've been here without my brother Dan being here. It feels kind of <laughs> kind of odd. So, Anyway, from our perspective, I think you all agree with this, from our perspective, things are very uncertain. Not God's perspective, from our perspective, things are very uncertain. Uh, a couple of years ago, gas went, I don't know what it is in North in Oklahoma, it's cheaper than it is in North Carolina, but in our part of the world, it went from $1.80 to $4 a gallon quicker than you could fill up your tank twice. <laughs> Probably not the same prices, but you know the idea, right? So gas prices are really uncertain. I got to laugh at this. It's a perverse sort of laughter, I guess. In in North Carolina, where I live, in 2020, January, everybody was preachers across the across the region were preaching sermons about Vision 2020. You know, this is where we're going, and this is what's going to, you know, strategic planning and all that, and then March happened. <laughs> and everybody's strategic plan got thrown to the wind because COVID just changed everything. Whoa, what happened to that strategic plan? Well, our vision of the future of 2020 was not really very good at all. In politics, you know, you got labels of socialist and all these names being thrown around, and things get seem to be really uncertain. And here's my take on human nature. When things are uncertain, we tend to get anxious. We worry. And uh, one thing I love about the Bible, it's so appropriate for today, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. Jesus summarized all this in Matthew 6. We're not going there. Matthew 6, he said to the disciples, essentially this, you worry about two things, the future and finances. Now think about what you worry about. It's those two things. And we perfected it. We, we worry about both of us, <laughs> Right? Okay, so we don't tend to act in faith when things seem to be uncertain. We kind of just hunker down and kind of try to live by sight. Well, we have an extraordinary God, and thankfully he uses ordinary people to accomplish things that he wants to get accomplished. So what would this extraordinary God want to do through ordinary people like us? Now, don't get offended if I call you ordinary. Uh, all of us are somewhat ordinary. Uh, we're, we're exquisitely made by God, yes, so we're wonderfully made. But when it comes to standing out from the whole rest of the 8 billion people on the planet, probably none of us are like the best in the whole world at what we do. We're just ordinary. Would you all agree to this? Please do. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so, so what, what should we do in the midst of the uncertain times we live in? Well, I'm going to give you some suggestions. on Here's how God uses ordinary people to accomplish significant things in uh, uncertain times. So you have a Bible or a tablet or something, open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 17. As you're going there, context is king. I always say that to my students at the college. What's going on in the story is really, really important. So Elijah is the name of the guy we're going to look at, just a portion of his story. And Elijah, uh, the Bible tells us in James chapter 5 verse 17, he was a man with a nature like ours. And without getting into too technical here, the word used there just means he had the, he was cut out of the same bolt of cloth we are. He had the same struggles, the same highs, the same lows, the same worries. He's just like we are. And the reason that's important is because when we look at the people of the Bible, we think, I could never be like Elijah. He was just extraordinary. I'm just ordinary old Bill. 
Well, here's what the Bible says. Elijah was just ordinary, just like you. And God used him magnificently in his time and in his, uh, in his culture. So Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh or my God is Jehovah. And that's basically how he lived his life. His life was a declaration of, hey, I serve the true God of heaven, the God who created all of us, and uh, that's my God. And uh, so before this story, he walked into King Ahab's palace and said, because of Israel's disobedience, there will be no rain. Okay? Now when you have no rain, what happens after you have no rain for a while? Give you a hint, it starts with a D. You have a drought. That's what's going on when this story picks up. So there's a drought going on. First Kings chapter 17. Here's my first point. You're the kind of likes to take notes. In uncertain times, trust God. Verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, remember Ahab was the king, the wicked king, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, not weeks or months like you've had in Oklahoma, these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that when you, that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he went and lived in the brook, by the brook Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And so he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded the widow there, a widow there, to provide for you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the city, the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl, a little oil in the jar. Behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go and prepare it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as I have said, but make a little bread cake for me first, from it first. Excuse me, make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward you shall make one for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor the, bowl of the, nor the jar of oil be empty, till the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went, did according to the words of Elijah, and, the, and she and he and her husband, excuse me, her household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So, trusting God in an uncertain time. Look at verse... Four. Remember, Elijah's announced this drought. Obviously, with droughts, you have no rain, and so he needs to flee. One, because he needs a water source, but secondly, Ahab is not going to be a happy camper. He says in verse 4, it's going to be verse 3, go away from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Kirith, which is east of Jordan. Okay? And it shall be that I will, you shall drink of the brook. I have commanded the, brave, the ravens to provide for you there. So go, go, get away from here and go to Kirith. There's a brook. We don't know our geography very well, but he says, go by this brook, which is Kirith, east of the Jordan. So go, go, go to the place I told you to go to. All right. Verse 9. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Now, would you admit that uh, when it comes to Bible geography, most of us are a little bit challenged? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. 
don't take this personally. My students at the college are the same way. If I tell them I'm going to Oklahoma, they're sometimes like, where is that? (laughs) That's not even even Bible geography. That's U.S. geography, right? So we may be a little bit like that. Well, look in verse uh, verse 9. Elijah was told, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And we're thinking, "Where, where in the world is Sidon? Well, keep your finger right where it is. Maybe go back a page. We go to chapter 16, previous chapter, verse 31. Before I read it, do you remember who Ahab was married to? Jezebel. Remember wonderful Miss Jezebel? She never won a Miss Congeniology contest at any beauty pageant ever. Okay? She was a piece of work. There's a reason why you've never met a Jezebel in your life, because after her, they stopped naming girls Jezebel. All right? Verse... 31 of chapter 16, and it came about as though it was a trivial thing for him, that's Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of, king of who? Sidonians. Sidonians. So that's, so Jezebel, the queen, her dad is the king of Sidon. And where did God just tell Elijah to go? Sidon, are you kidding me? Lord, there's lots of better places to go than that. In our part of the world, we have Fort Bragg, largest military installation on planet Earth. And what I know from soldiers is this. There are certain places that they don't want to get PCS to. PCS stands for permanent change of station. And don't get offended by this, but the ones that they bring up a lot are you don't want to go to Fort Polk, uh, Louisiana, because unless you like to fish or hunt, it's out in the middle of nowhere. You can see the end of the world from Fort Polk. Or Fort Drum, because they measure snow by the yard, not by the inch. There's places you don't want to go when you're in the military. And sometimes, do you know, sometimes God tells us to go places and do things that we really don't think is that smart and we don't want to go there, don't want to do that. No, don't, don't vote out loud on this one. But perhaps, perhaps God, not just perhaps, guarantee God has called us as followers of him to share the gospel with somebody else. And doing so, the thought of doing so makes us real sweaty and nervous. Can I just be uh, honest with you? I'm a member of a Southern Baptist church in Fayetteville, and we Southern Baptists polled ourselves a few years ago. Here's what they found out. Only 3% of people who say they're Southern Baptist members of Southern Baptist church, 3%, that's 1 in 30, let's round it off, 1 in 30 have ever shared the gospel with one other person in their life. 1 in 30. You say, oh, well, that's something that makes us uncomfortable, but God's told us to do it anyway. Okay? So, so I, I, I'm not sure what I would say. Well, just trust Him to give you the words to say. Remember in the Gospel of John, the man was born blind and Jesus healed him? And I asked, What about him? And he said, Listen, here's what I know. I don't even know the guy's name that healed me. I just know this. I used to be blind, now I can see. You, you can tell your story, right? If you can tell your story, how you came to faith, you can share the Gospel with somebody else. Maybe it's sharing the gospel that makes you feel real uncomfortable. Maybe it's uh, giving generously. Oh, Corver, if you if you knew what my budget looked like, last time I checked, God didn't say give when you're when you have way too much money, you can't even find ways to spend it all. He says we're just supposed to give generously. What about forgiving somebody? So I, I don't like it. Forgive? Do you know how how much they hurt me? Maybe, maybe that's where God wants you, this, this uncomfortable, uncertain place he wants you to go, not necessarily a geographical place, but the thing he wants you to do, and at this point you're not willing to say yes to that. 
Rhetorical question. Has God commanded you to do something, yet you're struggling to obey? Well, the Elijah, when God said do it, I mean, he just did it. Could it, could it be that the uncertainty in your life is God's way of revealing to you a lack of trust in him? And he's trying to grow your trust in him. For Elijah, he said, go to the brook Kirith, go to Zarephath. I mean, there's some places that he instructed Elijah to go. Again, nothing's uncertain to God. If there's any uncertainty in your life and mind, it's because of the way we look at things. So it's in uncertain times, trust God. That's my first idea, my first point, if you will. Here's the second one, and it should be kind of somewhat obvious as we go through the text a little bit again. In uncertain times, God provides in the most unusual ways. Say it again. In uncertain times, God provides in the most unusual ways. Look in verses 4 and 6. God says this to Elijah. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to come provide for you. Oh, just stop a minute. I always tell my students, put yourself in the story as best you can. So pretend for a second you're Elijah, and God is speaking to you. Now, the first half of the sentence makes perfect sense. Go camp beside a stream. That's a good sense, right? you got water. The second half makes zero sense to us. I've commanded some ravens to come feed you. Now, ravens in the Old Testament were considered an unclean bird. They're carrion-eating birds. They like hawks and owls and vultures and so forth. They eat meat. They catch an animal or they find roadkill and they eat it. right. Uh, now, in my entire life, I've been kind of a bird of prey uh, enjoyer, watch, watching and so forth. I'm 63 years old. I've never had a bird of prey drop a, a chicken nugget on me for lunch. <laughs> Think about it. it just, real quick story. When I was at the college years ago, my office manager had a, her office was kind of near the front door. She looks out the window and she says, Dr. Corbin, come here real quick. And so I walked out of my office into the lobby area. She said, look, and across the parking lot, maybe 40 yards, there's a really big red-tailed hawk, which got my interest up. Well, okay, so I wondered to myself, I wonder how close he might become without flying away. So I opened the door, and I realized he's got a squirrel. He just has landed on him, grabbed him, right? And so I got about 30 yards away, and he looked at me like, that's close enough. <laughs> you know, those, those eyes of theirs, and I got about 20 yards away, and he's like, and no closer. And off he went with his lunch. Never has a, a hawk, an owl, or any other bird said, there you go. But you see, you could, it makes some sense that a bird would maybe accidentally, by God's direction, drop a piece of meat on you, right? But what else are the birds going to feed him? Bread. I've never met a bird yet that baked bread. Where are they going to get the bread from? That's God's thing, not ours. He just, I'll feed you twice a day through bread and and this meat. It seems to make zero sense. God can be anything. <laughs> Notice a little bit further. The, the, of course, the brook dries up, right? You know the story. The brook dries up. That, that happens when you have a drought. So then he says, well, go to Zarephath. Well, verse, uh, verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And there I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Now, I read the story, so I won't belabor the point. But when Elijah shows up, this widow is at the well, and he says, can I have some water? Sure. While she turns to go get some water. Oh, by the way, ma'am, would you mind making me a meal? She says, well, 
I don't have anything left. In fact, what I have left is just a little flour, a little olive oil in a jar, and combined, I'm going to make that for me and my son, and that's the last meal we've gotten. We have nothing in the pantry, and then we fully expect to die. Now, think about how, put yourself in sort of, God tells you, I'm going to send you to a widow who has nothing, and she's going to be your meal ticket for a while. How unbelievable is that? Now, let's take it one step further. Now, the widow, Elijah says to his widow, would you make me the first bread, and then you and your son can have what's left after that? Oh, by the way, it's a God you've never seen. Remember, it's Elijah's God. It's not her God. You've never heard from this God before. So this God you've never seen is telling you to prepare the last thing you have in your pantry for somebody else, and he will take care of your needs. You see how outlandish this all seems to be? Well, that's what God, he, he provides in the most unusual ways. Now, how, how has God provided for you in unusual ways? I want you to ponder that. Don't call them out loud. Just ponder that. I'm going to give you some homework in a minute because I'm an incurable teacher. But let me give you two from my life. My uh, wife, Marcia, some many of you have met her. She travels with me out here. Years ago, our oldest daughter lived in Houston. And uh, she provided us our first grandchild. And you know how it is with, they call her grandma. Grandmas and their grandchildren, right? Just this, mm. So North Carolina and Houston, Texas are not close to each other. And so we were doing the best we could to be generous with the funds God gave us. And so that didn't leave a lot of wobble room in our budget to save up all this money to travel to Houston regularly. And so uh, we went to Houston one time. And we get to the airport in Houston to go back to North Carolina. And as this sometimes happens in airports, the gate attendant got on and said, uh, you know, we've oversold this flight. If somebody would be, we need five people who'd be willing to get on the next flight. We'll give you a $300 voucher. That's a pretty good generous offer. Evidently a couple of people took them, up, took them up on it. And then 20 minutes later, they came back on it. We still need two people to take us up on the offer. And uh, we've upped our game, $500 voucher. Well, I couldn't do it as I had, literally, we were flying back and I had a commitment that night at the college to teach a class. So I, Marsha kind of looked at me and I said, hey, if you want to do it, go ahead. Well, by the time she got up to the gate, two other people beat her to the punch. Okay. We get on the plane and uh, we happened to have seats near the front. We weren't first class, but we were like sixth or seventh row back and just got buckled in. Same gate agent came in and she was a little bit frazzled and she said, I need one person to take that, to take the next flight. We'll give you a thousand dollar voucher, Marcelo. <laughs> okay, so she got out. Went, she said, uh, "I'll see you later tonight." I had class. I was going to pick her up after class. Okay, I literally land in Fayetteville, and I get a text on my phone that says, "Wait, I'll be there in thirty minutes." Okay, I got my bag, went through the long term parking, got my car, pulled around, and picked her up. I mean, that, that's how quick it was. But what they had done, for some reason, I don't know, is they just put her on the next plane, which Lori, 30 minutes later. So for a 30-minute delay, she gets three free trips to Houston. Now, would you say that's kind of unusual? If you know much about Fayetteville, you probably don't. It's a small airport. We get four flights a day. Two airlines, so eight. So four American, four Delta flights incoming. We get two flights 30 minutes apart and a $1,000 voucher. Wow. Let me give you one other quick one. 
So Phil asked during the inspiration about the college, a little story there. So mo many of you know, the college that I'm at, uh, for years and years we've been trying to get a piece of property next to our college. It's adjacent to our, our property. Years ago when I was brand new at my job, I asked the owner would he just give it to the college and he looked at me like I was from Mars and said no. Okay. Seven, eight years ago we tried to buy the property but the guy who owned it wanted like ridiculous price, way more than it was worth. So we said no to that. <clears throat> so we agreed on a price in uh, December, which was $100,000 less than he had been offered a month before, and $150,000 less than the appraisal value. In this market, think about that, $150,000 less than the appraisal. And they agreed. Okay. So we need to raise $500,000. The board said, you know, we've been trying to get that property a long time. Let's trust God to see what God does. Well, one thing led to another. In February, so six weeks ago or so, mid-February, I have lunch, or had a meeting with a guy who, who had been on campus in 1990. We had a special speaker, somebody you know the name, if you're old-timers, the name John Walvard. Dr. Walvard was president of Dallas Seminary years and years ago. Well, Dr. Walvard had been on our campus to do a Bible conference in 1990. This guy had been on campus one time 33 years ago. He lived in the area, he knew a little bit about us, and he said, I'm just curious to see, are y'all maintaining kind of a, a faithfulness to the Word of God? You're not going woke like everybody else and liberal like a lot of colleges and seminaries are. And so we said, well, here's what we believe. We haven't changed a bit in the last 50 years. While I'm talking to him, could you not? He had on blue jeans and some cowboy boots. He's a builder, retired now. He just kind of leaned over and pulled this checkbook out of his, and he said, I want to write a check to the college. Okay. So he just scribbles while he's talking or whatever, tears it out, slides it over to me. I'm trying to be nonchalant about this, right? Oh, come on. You don't want to look down or whatever. So I just folded the check up, but in my pocket we've got a little safe that Kylie would put things in to keep them safe like that. So me and the guy I was with walked into the door, and after we walked into the door, I was going to put it in the box. This guy's name was Gary that I was talking to. I said, well, Gary, pull it out. Been on campus one time 33 years ago. Check for 100 k Wow. Wow is right. Wow. <laughs> in, uh, in 90 days, God brought in through people we didn't even really ask for uh, $430,000. That's a God sort of thing. We just trusted him that he would do something, and he did it. Wow. Hmm. So here's, here's my homework for you. Uh, if you're whether you're married or not, but if you're married, when you go home this afternoon, I assume some of you are going to eat lunch somewhere. <laughs> As you eat lunch, rehearse with your spouse some of the unusual ways God has provided to you over the course of your marriage over the last several years. If you're not married, just rehearse it in your mind and talk to somebody on the phone or whatever, over the fence. Talk to somebody and just say, you know what, uh, I was reminded today about how God provides in the most unusual ways let me tell you a story about a couple times he did this for us. And if you have kids or grandkids, your kids and grandkids need to hear those stories. They're going to get lost otherwise. They won't know how God worked on your behalf if you don't tell them those stories. You say, well, they've heard that. Well, remind them of the stories. Here's the last point I gather from, uh, from this text. And here it is. And we'll go back and look at it again in the text. In uncertain times, obedience precedes blessing. I'll say it again. Obedience precedes blessing. Look in verse 5. <clears throat> God had just told Elijah in the 
previous verses, 3 and 4, to go. What's the very first three words of verse 5 in your Bible? So he did what the Lord had told him. So, okay, so mine says, so he went. Okay, so he went. But you, did you notice this, that Elijah doesn't say, well, Lord, that's a great idea. Let me ponder that one and pray about it for 30 days. <laughs> the very first thing is, so he went. Okay? You're going to see a trend here. Look in verse uh, 10. In verse 9, he says, go to Zarephath. Remember, that's where Jezebel's dad, the king, inside Verse 10, so he arose and went. He, he doesn't say, well, let me ponder, let me pray. Lord, that's really not a good idea. You know, he's the king there. He arose and it went. Okay. So two times, God gives a command to Elijah. Both times he goes. All right. Well, now you go down to verse 13. Elijah says to the widow, hey, would you make me the bread first, and then God will provide for you. Verse 15. First three words again. So she went. Do you see a pattern here, brothers and sisters? Obedience precedes blessing. If Elijah said, well, Lord, I don't know that I can trust those birds to really feed me. Well, I'm right here. Have a couple of drops of food on me here, and then I'll know you'll do it, and I'll go there. Then you go there and watch me work. Nor did he say, well, Lord, you know, if you'll have that widow, so you've got to give me a sign, Lord, and then maybe I'll go to Zarephath. The widow doesn't say, verse 15, well, let me make my cake first, and if there's any leftovers, then I'll make yours. Oh, every time it's okay, I'll obey, and Lord, then I'll trust you to do what you said you'd do. That is not human nature, <laughs> at least not my nature. Would anybody admit that that's not your nature either? Here's, I think, the way we tend to work. Our tendency is, Lord, if you'll provide, then I'll obey. For example, um, I hate to bring up the bad news here, but you realize Tuesday is tax day, tax deadline. So probably your income from last year is in your mind a little bit. And so whatever your income is, none of my business, obviously, but here's the way a lot of us work. Whatever your income is, just think about that. And so we, we say, well, Lord, if you'll get me here, then I'll be more generous and I'll tithe and I'll give. And I'll... Never in a million years will that happen. If you don't give where you currently are, you're not going to give because somebody suddenly drops 20 or 40 or 50 more percent income in your lap. Here's human nature. Whatever we get, we tend to increase our standard of living to meet what our income is. That's just the way we are. Uh, Lord, when you give me the capacity to, then I'll obey. This might shock you. Uh, I was terribly shy in college when it came to these classes called homiletics, preaching classes. And if I had ever said, God, if you'll let me be a really, really good preacher, then I'll open my mouth. I just realized this if you're going to serve God you've got to be able to open your mouth and say something and maybe God will start developing your skills a little bit you, you can't just wait well you could but it would be in, in, it'd be a sin but you, we shouldn't just wait and say well Lord, Lord if you'll do that then I'll do this this story tells me anything here's what it tells me you do and then watch me work you do and then you watch me work Chaotic times. So in these chaotic times we live in, when COVID happened and gas prices more than doubled and stock market goes this, whatever it is, do you realize that you have an extraordinary God who can do extraordinary things? And usually he does them through 
ordinary people like us. Now, this is Oklahoma. I can tell this story easier than I can in North Carolina. In 1989, if you remember 1989, that far back, the Oklahoma Senators uh, in the spring of 89 were in the national championship basketball game against the Kansas Jayhawks. Okay? Oklahoma had a player named Stacy King, who was a quite a good player. After the spring March Madness, as we call it, was over, in the summer of 89, he was good enough that the Chicago Bulls drafted Stacy King in the first round, number six pick. So right or wrong, the Chicago Bulls thought of all the people coming turning pro, he's the sixth best option we've got. That's pretty high praise. Well, Stacy King played six seasons for the Bulls, always kind of average five five points a game. Never a star, not even close to a star. But he had a guy that was pretty good on his team. Remember that guy's name? <laughs> Michael Jordan. Great. That's where my story comes in. So on March the 29th of 1990, March 29, 1990, Michael Jordan scored a career-high 69 points in a game against the Cleveland Cavaliers in a playoff game. 69 points. That's important. How many points? 69 points by Michael. After the game, television camera, radio people, whatever, were interviewing Stacy King after the game. And here's what he said, and I quote about Michael Jordan. He's one in a million. One in a billion. I don't think we'll ever see a player like him again. He's probably the world's greatest player. I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> Think about it. He scored one. The Bulls won the game. Not because of Stacey King. Because of Michael Jordan. Do you realize that whatever God calls you to do, not play a silly game, but this thing of life, you have an extraordinary God on your side who wants to use you. The question is, will you trust Him when things are uncertain? And then watch Him provide in the most unusual ways. Oh, and obedience always precedes blessing. Period. Always. If you're waiting to, well, when God blesses, then I'll never going to happen. What is it you need to do? Uh, we're going to have a closing hymn in just a minute, but these are uncertain times. Yes to us, but not to God. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, my, my admonition is you trust Him today. My guess is that most of you have. Well, then you would trust Him for your provision in the midst of these uncertain times and rehearse to other people, here's what God has done for me or for us so they can hear those stories too. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us. Thank you for the life of Elijah, though not perfect. The Bible tells us he was a man with a nature like ours. He certainly got this story right or this, this incident right when he trusted you. He trusted you would provide and you did. And you provided in some really unusual ways for him, whether it be through birds, through a poor widow. And then for the poor widow, Lord, she trusted you and you provided. She'd never seen you, never, never had a conversation with you, and never even held a copy of the Bible in her hand, as far as we know. But she trusted you anyway. May that kind of faith exemplify us. I pray for the person or people here who've never trusted you. They would do so today. For the rest of us who have, that we would not look to uh, the news cycle, we would look at our our financial statement that comes in the mail, we would look to you as our provider, and uh, then recall 
the time when you have shown yourself strong on our behalf, and often in the most unusual ways. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.